Hello and welcome to Coffee Meet with Algamy Consulting with me, your host, Chris New. Today's podcast is the first in our fourth series of podcasts titled Pathway to Freedom. Today, we're going to talk to Algamy Consulting partners, Pierre Vahari and Luke Jacobs, about what we can expect from this latest series and why these themes represent a route to liberation for the WAM industry. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Pierre-Yves. Good morning, Chris. Hello, Chris. Pathway to Freedom is the title of our new series. Pierre-Yves, maybe you can give us an idea of that brought us to that title. Why are we calling it Pathway to Freedom? I suppose we're in a situation where we're exiting from COVID. There are new things going on. People are back in the city, new geopolitical landscape and so on and so forth. And what we really want to examine in this series of podcasts is how are these transformations going to impact the industry and what we can do about it. Excellent. Seeing that sort of shift in some of these paradigms uh, that you discussed, maybe we could talk about the first podcast we're going to look at, which is our managers back to managing money. Now, obviously, we don't look at investment management sort of fundamentals too much, but in terms of this subject, what does that mean for us and our clients? Absolutely, Chris. We'll start with the first set of observation. We're hearing a lot of industry comments um, saying that we have reached the bottom of the price war between active and passive funds and that managers are back on, on concentrating on managing money. So we want to examine if it's really the case. And then to add to this conversation, we're bringing in another set of observations, which is that the concentration of asset managers continues unabated with a very clear stated objective of gaining scale. You're thinking about Franklin merging with LEG, Invesco merging with State Street Bank, GSAM merging with NN. All of that is happening. In parallel, we're also observing an increased volume of outsourcing of operations. So there again, usual names, Invesco is outsourcing their operation to State Street Bank, Investec is doing the same. And we're seeing a very clear trend towards a concentration of service providers. So just to name a few, the latest is the merger of State Street Bank with BBH, and we've noticed the merger of Insane. If you add all of this with the emergence of new share class, new structures, and of course, all the questions related to ESG, you can't help but wonder whether the asset managers really have the capability or the appetite to manage all this complexity and whether they're not moving back to managing money and leave it to others to manage this ecosystem and, and complexity. Excellent. That sounds like a change in business and operating models. Uh, so look forward to that being discussed in detail. Luke, moving to the next in our series, what are the future drivers for growth in the investment management industry. Obviously, we've seen the stock market boom after the initial fall in the pandemic and the wealthy getting wealthier. What else is going to be the driver apart from just um, inflated asset prices? There's been a sharp increase in values of equity, etc. But overall, I think there is also just an increase of wealth in the world. And how is the, the investment industry continuing uh, to grow? Within that, is that beyond just AUM increase and investment performance, or will there also be other elements that will enable that growth of the industry? For instance, a platform business, quite a few asset managers have been investing in that, some with success, some with less of a success, and, and in the end, it didn't live up uh, to the promise. And so they subsequently uh, sold it, uh, their platform uh, to others. But we see also in the asset management companies moving into the personal wealth space, which is quite 
new for the industry. And in that way, they're capturing the market underneath high net worth individuals. There are new technology opportunities uh, to create bespoken individual portfolios for clients, and that is a, uh, a significant opportunity for the industry. But equally, retail investors are also looking for access to new sources of return because bonds have and are likely not to deliver hugely in the coming years. Where are other sources of return? And private markets investments not been the foray of the retail investors. So how could they get better access to that? And, and in that sense, also the returns of this asset. Interesting. I think that sort of ties into our next podcast as well. You mentioned the personalization of investment as we see these different markets open up, as you talk about the private markets and obviously the additional risk and potential regulation they may bring. What other kind of personalization of investment funds do you see? But fundamentally, how much personalization can people really get? I, I do think that it's something relatively new. Really putting that I in investments is a new area for the industry. That doesn't mean that it hasn't been tried and there are some, some green shoots of it already. It is all about the individual needs of the investor. Up till now, it was in general very much around pensions. And if it were not pensions, then it were just investments with a certain uh, return that were in the interest of the retail investor. But now it is more looking at the life events of the investors and how can investing support those events uh, in life. Your uh, children going to study, the purchase of your first uh, property, etc. Equally, we should be thinking of the fact that investors do no longer think of individual stocks held by an investment product, but about the impact it has on society and the environment. And then we get to ESG considerations. And in recent articles in, for instance, Ignites, has been clear that European ESG stocks deliver outperformance. In new flows of investments, there is a clear shift to impactful Article 9 funds. This is a trend that is not going to go away. And in this podcast, uh, we want to dive deeper into that. Brilliant. As you say, there's a lot of different competing things to manage there. So in terms of personalization, the democratization of the investment process, it's going to be interesting how these are managed and balanced. As we deal with clients with ultra high net worth individuals, there's obviously a lot of tailoring that can happen there on a one-to-one basis. And I think this looks at that sort of layer underneath that. Pierre-Yves, Maybe something a little bit drier. We're going to look at regulations and whether they are here to stay, what's on the horizon. And obviously, regulation is probably the thing that keeps most of our clients awake at night. We need to take a little bit of a step back when we're going to talk about regulation, Chris. If you look at the regulation that were implemented in the post-financial crisis, there have been a very resounding themes, which were around investor protection, market protection, um, especially against systemic risk, and transparency. So we've talked about the tsunami of regulation over the last decades, and now we're moving into a post-COVID world, and we really want to examine what drives the agenda of the regulations. If you look at the current calendar, there's some very specific things happening. There's a follow-up of the March 2021 SFTR regulation on sustainable finance. On January 1st, there will be the implementation of IFTR, which is intended to simplify the 
prudential regimes of investment firms. In March 2022, there would be the first submission of the self-assessment report of, on, on operational resilience and so on and so forth. And then we are aware of some um, open questions that need to be addressed by the regulator. For example, by July 2022, the EU will need to clarify whether they want to extend permission for firms to trade on UK clearing houses. And there are a number of emerging questions in the ESG space, the EU taxonomy, the question of greenwashing that seems to be emerging again, the ESG in, in, in ESG. And then finally, you, you need to put all of this into context. A couple of major points from our perspective. One is Brexit is done. Now we're looking on one side of the channel, the CMU, the Capital Market Union, going fast forward. And we need to understand what the impact of all of this will be on the convergence or not of EU and UK regulation. The second point is, of course, the exit from COVID, which raises some questions around work flexibility debate, cybersecurity, and does that need to be translated into regulation? And last but not least, there is a very clear polarization of the geopolitical landscape, US, China, others, change of the guard in major European countries. Is that going to impact the regulation on, on the industry? All of that we want to examine in this podcast. It indicates that the regulations are here to stay. So we want to look into that. And, and we think it'll be interesting to look at what happens in other jurisdictions or regions. I think yeah. the theme running through that is even if you've implemented a regulation, they come in several phases, several years, and that's going to be the running theme for the next two years of really implementing those different phases as and increasing complexity to meet those. I think one we, we're going to follow up with after that sort of overview of the uh, regulatory landscape is a deep dive, a particular interest for our UK clients around the UK prudential regime, which you mentioned is yeah. coming in on Jan 1st, 2022. Maybe you can give a, a little bit of a deeper sort of insight into what we're going to look at in that discussion. The, the, the IPR will definitely shift the focus of prudential requirements and expectations away from the risk that uh, firms face to address the harm that firms can pose to consumers and markets. And that last bit is very much in line also with operational resilience. The new requirements seek to capture the potential harm posed by regulated uh, MIFID investment firms to their clients and the markets in which they operate. It also uh, considers the amount of capital and liquid assets the FCA investment firm should hold so that it does have to wind down or exit the market, that it can do so in an orderly way. Because, let's say, the past has shown that it was not always possible. Woodford was an example of that, and there have been others in that. And the IFPR means there will be a, a single prudential regime for all FCA investment firms, simplifying, ultimately, the current approach. The FCA investment firms will have to have meaningful capital and liquidity uh, requirements, as I said uh, before. And that means for some, uh, that will be the first time. Uh, further, there will be remuneration requirements, which is not to uh, be thought of lightly because it's just more than policy design. It also looks at governance and oversight of remuneration policies and practices and fixed and variable remuneration indicators. Uh, a restriction on variable uh, remuneration as well. At the moment, this is uh, within a UK environment unlimited, not within an EU environment where there are already uh, those kind of restrictions in place. Uh, yes, new regulation, but hopefully, uh, let's say, that objective of simplifying will definitely come to the forefront. 
Wonderful. I think what I find interesting about this particular sort of prudential regime is it's following on from what was implemented for the banks and is probably seen as best practice now around governance, risk management and controls. Although this may seem very abstract to a lot of the population, actually, if you look at the current fuel crisis, that is all around a lack of regulation, governance and controls. And there's even now discussion about a prudential regime for them. I think When you look at the big pictures, you can actually still put this to reality as people were impacted by Woodford, people were impacted by the banking crisis. This is something that makes the industry stronger and it's not just regulatory overhead for the sake of it. Okay, Pierre and Luke, thank you very much for that Whistle Stop Store Run X series. I think there's a lot there for most of our listeners to, to get involved in. To our listeners, I hope this introduction to our fourth series of podcasts, Pathway to Freedom has whetted your appetite and we look forward to you joining us next time. If you want to discuss this podcast further with us, have any questions on the series or would like to get in touch with us through inquiries at algamyconsulting.com or via LinkedIn, Algamy Consulting, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.